Greetings ladies and mentalgens and welcome to today's reddit series video from the subreddit hfy called Retreat Hell Chapter 9 written by Lithy Dragon. And we're halfway there. Whoa, whoa, living on a prayer. Run laughed as the entire van joined in on the chorus. It had been an hour since they left base, and most of it was full of music and questionable attempts to sing along. You got a problem with our karaoke road trips? Bradford asked over the music. What is karaoke? Karaoke. Bradford laughed. It's, um, she tilted her head. Actually, I don't know what language it comes from. It's probably Hawaiian or something, she shrugged. It means to sing along to music, usually with other vocals to back you up. It's a party game. Man, Aldo would have had a cow if you were here, Samson said, leaning over the back of his seat. It's Japanese, not Hawaiian. Hey, I'm not a language expert. I speak American English and, uh, apparently, she paused looking at Rin. What's your language called? Guyani. Rin replied, it's the official language of the kingdom. Guyani. Bradford nodded. I can understand Guiani thanks to some magical frickery. Otherwise, I'm a dunce with languages. I failed my second year of Spanish. Wait, the mighty Jabs goddess of knowledge and intelligence amongst marines who is studying for a degree as an aerospace engineer in her spare time failed basic Spanish. Languages aren't my thing, she said, throwing her hands in the air. She shrugged, glancing to the side. I might also have only taken it as an elective because I had a major crush on Kyle Eccles. Rin's grid perked up. Who is Kyle Eccles? Bradford rolled her eyes. Some douche I went to high school with. Oh, you're not leaving it at that, Samson said, tapping her shoulder and rolling his hand in her spool. Fine, she sighed and leaned back looking past the ceiling of the van. It was a star of the track and a field team. I thought he was the hottest person ever. He really nailed that tall, dark, and handsome look, you know. Had this kind of quiet, brooding vibe, without a hint of twilight. No sparky vampires were you, Jabs? Edison asked. Ugh, no. She rolled her eyes. Go on, Samson said, putting the elbows on the back of her seat and propping his chin up with his hands, giving her an expectant smile. He was athletic and suave, and I thought that, because he did track and field, he wouldn't have the same jock attitude that a lot of the guys on the football team did. She sighed. He would look up from his mild brooding and give me a tidy smile, like just seeing me brighten his day. She shook herself. I sent shivers down my spine every time he did it. And... Samson prodded when she let the silence drag on too long. And he was a douchebag who did that to every single girl he thought he could score with. Jerk was struggling three girlfriends and hooked up with or was trying to hook up with half the girls in the school. Oh, snap! Yeah, when I found out he was playing me, she shook her head. I figured out all of his girlfriends, told them, and told the other girls in our year. They all kept it secret right until the day of the prom, after he had already spent his money on some big party reservations, when they all dumped him in front of the whole school assembly. Nobody showed up to the after-prom party. Damn, girl! Samson said. You really showed him. What about you, Shields? Do you have a girl back home? Um, no. Kowalski's got a girl in every Warhol house, Gomez said. Kowalski turned, giving him a look of fatherly pride. Truth. His expression instantly shifted to a skull. Now shut the frick up, Goma. Goma sat back, grinning the smile of someone who knew what he did good. Do Keshman even mate for life? Kimba asked. Or do you have seasonal mating cycles? 
Can you only mate once every seven years, and you have to frick or you die? Edison chanted from the back seat. That's an oddly specific and no. Ren shook his head. He wasn't going down that conversation path. Marriage is supposed to last forever and doesn't always. Some people get to choose who they marry, especially in the lower class, but it's often arranged. Is there someone you're looking to marry? No. What, no sweetheart waiting for you to sweep off her feet when you come back home from the war? Bradford poked his side, giving her a sly look. No, he leaned back against his window, ears shifting awkwardly. Do you have a girl in every Warhol house? Kimber asked. No! What's the matter, Shields? Samson asked, raising an eyebrow at him. A little sensitive about your love life? Do you even have a love life? Bradford asked, trying to suppress the characteristic smirk. Rin found himself plastered to the window, suddenly at the center of the focused attention of eleven humans. Nah, man, relax, we're just bricking with you. Bradford waved at him, glancing away from the mask of a grin. Yeah, who you frick or don't is your business. Nobody cares, Samson said. Frick knows there's enough of you that'll share anyway. Bradford rolled her eyes. He sighed, relaxing from the windows. I felt like I was back at university again for a moment there. Ha! Bradford laughed, throwing an arm over the back seat to pat him on the shoulder. Sounds like high school drama is universal, doesn't it? Apparently, he said, tensing briefly under the touch but forcing himself to relax. Humans are just very tactile, like Dalgra. The song changed on the radio or Gomez's phone. Rin wasn't sure which, nor the significance of either. There was a short, topping beat, and then the song was immediately loud again. It's all human music this loud. No, not all of it, Bradford laughed. Some is louder, Gomez grinned, like this was an awesome thing. He put his hands to his mouth like he was holding something, closed his eyes and screamed growled into them. Rin's ears swept back flat against his skull. Are you dying? He shook his breath and screamed louder. What did they say about death metal and the screamo in the car? shouted Kimba. Gomez stopped screaming, dropping his hands to a pot. You guys are lame. Bradford laughed, shaking his head. We've got all kinds of music, some more palatable than others. Lame. Shut the frick up, Goma. She rolled her eyes. We've mostly been listening to classic and hard rock, but there's a whole bunch of other types of music, even other types of rock. Like rap and hip-hop, Samson said. Country, Bella added. Rhythm and blues, Edison suggested. And then you have classical music, different types of folk music and cultural flavors from all over the world. She smiled. We have a lot of music. Here, I can show you, Gomez said, snagging his phone and flipping through the display with his thumbs. A moment later, the music stopped and a new beat started. It was slow at first, but then the pace picked up and the singer started chanting. His ears flicked from side to side as the singer sped words through the alarming rate and then struggled to make them all out. Gomez flipped through several more examples, some loud or fast, others soft and slow. Some were simple, some were grand and complex. The diversity alone was staggering. What about you? What is Kishman music like? Gomez asked. Or at least, what is Ganlin music like? Samson added. You've got to have a fair bit of variation too. He waved his hands. Well, I don't have anything that can show you, but it's usually a lot less, um, loud. Just wait until you guys get amps. What? Amplifiers. Takes the sound produced by an instrument and turns it into an electrical signal and amplifies the signal to make it louder when it is put into a speaker. In a nutshell. Ren quirked his ears and shook his head. We have symphony orchestras and operas, but those are mostly reserved for the wealthy and nobility. 
The common cashman play a variety of songs. He paused, his ears flicking back to his head in frustration. If all of my things hadn't been lost in the retreat, I could play you something. You play an instrument? Yes, two, he said with his hands up. One is a taloo. What's that? It didn't translate. A taloo. He held up his hands in front of his chest as if he was holding something. It's made of clay and is shaped like a, a double-pointed tear with a piece to blow in the holes with your fingers. That's an ocarina, Bradford smiled. Ocarina, ocarina, she said. It's one of the oldest instruments ever made. He nodded. It's a very old instrument for us, too. I guess that makes sense, she nodded. That's awesome. What else do you play? The sleigh, it said. It's broad with strings on it and a ridge in the middle. You can play it by plucking the strings or using a bow. I think we have a similar instrument, though none are common in this part of the world. So, do you have these with you? Yes, but they were all lost with the rest of my things when the camp fell to chaos during the retreat. You know, when we head to Ely and Sunday, we could stop by the music store to get a new ocarina. It may not replace everything, but it's a start, yeah? She gave him an encouraging smile. He rolled his ears, considering that they slowly rose to the side. He nodded. I'd like that. She grinned. I'd say that we could go today, but the highway is a parking lot right now. It's going to take long enough to get whatever we're going for food as it is. And I don't know about you, but I'm freaking starving. Ren looked down at his stomach as it growled at a reminder. They both laughed. Hey, driver, are we freaking there yet? Some of us didn't have lunch today. Thirty minutes later, Ren saw glimpses of the buildings in the distance that seemed further away than they should be. They crept down the highway, their pace was stop and go, stop and go, a stark contrast to the speeds that they were moving that morning. A number and variety of vehicles baffled him. I understand that they probably don't have carols or yoshi, but they do have no working animals at all. He considered the mechanical artifices around him. Do they have any need for working animals? After ten minutes went by and they crept closer to San Diego, Rin got a proper look at the city in the distance. They had been surrounded by what would be considered cities for miles, but that, there's got to be some trick of the air. They look as big as far away as you are, so they're far away as the big as they are. They ran round and round another bend in the road, and there they were, straight ahead on the highway. The city was over a mile away, but still towered over the horizon. He stared out the window at the traffic crept forward, and the city before him stretched towards the clouds. These towers are so tall, they scrape the sky. If you think they're tall, you should see New York, Bradford said, giving him a knowing smile. He considered to shut his mouth and picked his ears up from where they had drooped in amazement. We have tall buildings too, just not quite as tall. Hey, we were the same not so long ago, she gave him a pat on the shoulder. Once we get done kicking the Keebler's rears, we'll help you build your own skyscrapers. She squeezed his shoulder, gesturing to the city before them. In the meantime, enjoy the sights. Rin nodded, giving her an encouraging flick of his ears. He leaned over to stare out the window as the following traffic a ramp that broke away from the main highway, his horns clanking lightly against the glass. As they drove into the city itself, Rin looked up and up and up at the buildings that towered above him. I lied. Not even the great tower of Cheyenne Yanni has as tall as some of these buildings. He was reminded of a picture in Bradford's room, and as the street they followed took them through the middle of a building, he became certain that the picture was real. The van worked its way down the street, 
carefully navigating through the stream of other vehicles. A left turn put them onto another street that was almost as large as the highway, and a few minutes later they were turning into a paved lot filled with marked lines for vehicles to park in. An attendant met them and giving Rin a glance through the window, Kowalski showed him his phone and talked about prepaid reservation. The man nodded and waved them into an empty slot, removing an orange cone that had been blocking it. Kowalski carefully maneuvered them into the assigned slot, the big van dwarfing most of the other vehicles around them. Once satisfied with their alignment, he shoved the lever next to the wheel and turned off the van's artifice. All right, everybody out. Charles is just a couple blocks up the street. The doors were carefully opened and the squad climbed out of the van, squeezing past a small vehicle next to them. Rin joined the stretching and groaning as everyone worked the kinks out of the long ride, but was quickly distracted by the sights and sounds and smells around him. There is too much noise, he thought, his ears swiveling around, trying to pinpoint it all, and his nose exploding with a cacophony of sense. He had been in cities before. He recognized the familiar sound of people moving and chatting, albeit in a different tongue. But here, there was no sound of carts and wagons rattling across the cobbled streets, no clops of hooves, no lowing of mala, no braying of quishy. Instead, there was a rush of traffic, the sound of air that shoved aside as they moved, their rubber wheels on the road, the muttering and rumbling artifices that powered them, the loud horns of the honk periodically, sometimes nearby, sometimes in the distance. An artifice roared in the distance. Ren looked up at the dizzying heights of the buildings that surrounded them on three sides and closed his eyes. He smelled oil and tar, humans, the faint scent of stale urine, and food. He opened his eyes and his stomach rumbled and found the humans all watching him. You ready to eat? Bradford asked. Absolutely, he said. Good, she said, stopping towards the street, because I'm freaking starving. Rin fell in beside her, and the rest of the squad formed up around them. Where are we greeting, Kowalski? It's just a couple blocks this way, he said, taking the lead and walking back the way they had come with the van. This better be good, Kowalski. We've been waiting long enough, she said as they merged into the brick-paved footpath that ran along the street. They were many people walking on either side of the street, but not nearly as many as Rin expected. He flicked an ear at the cars that zipped past them in the street and began to suspect why. The people who were walking on the footpath with them quickly got out of the way. He couldn't blame them. The group wasn't exactly marching in step, but they were moving with a clear, determined purpose, never mind their physical presence. Rin saw several people do double takes when they caught sight of him, staring at him or pointing at him out to their companions so that they could stare together. A few pointed phones at him, though most were discouraged by a simple glare from one of the marines. They crossed the three streets that would have been a grand thoroughfare in any Grandland city, before making the left turn immediately after the fourth. Here we are, Kowalski said, waving the red brick building ahead of them, La Pierta, the one of the best authentic Mexican joints in San Diego. According to online reviews, anyway, Kimber said, none of us have ever been here before. Ah yeah, well, you weren't offering any suggestions. Kowalski grumbled as they walked through the open door. So stuff it. Ren caught something surprising glances of the people seated outside. The Mexican joint looked a little small for their group filed inside, but it was still roomy enough, and it was very warmly lit. The wall to their right was panelled with wooden slats, a line of tables, each surrounded by a curving seat-back bench, upholstered in a brown leather, ran the length of the wall. 
Glowing stained lamps hung over each table, and the strands of small yellow-orange lights were strung across the ceiling. To the left was a lacquered bar, lined up with upholstered seat-backed stools. The wall behind it was bare brick, covered by shelves and cabinets lined with bottles that were unmistakably alcohol, or whatever they drink in a place of alcohol. He eyed the bottles. The glass and the crystal could not be out of this place in the king's table, but here... He flicked an ear at the rows of perfectly identical bottles and turned his attention to the man behind the bar. His black hair was far longer than any of the marines he had seen, except for Bradford, and hung down to his jaw. His chin was also covered in fur, and it completely surrounded his mouth. Do only some of them grow the fur on their face, if it's just around their mouths? Rin glanced at Miller and for the first time noticed a faint stubble across the entire lower third of his face. Do they shave their fur off? Evening, Kowalski said, bringing Rin's attention back to the present. The man behind the bar jerked his attention away from Rin. I called earlier, said there'd be about twelve of us coming in, asked if we could have a couple booths towards the back. Kowalski, the man asked. Yep. Uh, yeah, um, he shook his head. Yeah, two booths at the end. He pointed at the corner in the back. Sweet, thanks. Kowalski gave him a half wave and the squad filed out the back of the room. The booths weren't large enough for all twelve of them, but a brief discussion amongst the shuffling later, and Rin found himself wedged into the back corner of the booth next to Bradford, surrounded by Kowalski, Gomez, Miller, and Kimber. The rest of the squad packed themselves around the adjacent table. A few moments later, a woman appeared with a stack of large cards, and she passed them around. Can I get you started with anything to drink, or appetizers? She stopped, staring at Rin. Is he? Yes, Bradford said. Were you in the thick of it? Kowalski said. We had to come back to Earth for official business and couldn't pass up an opportunity to show Rin here around. Bradford clapped a hand on his shoulder, giving him a light shake. Your world is amazing, he said, flicking his ears back and self-consciously. The woman blinked. Do you understand? Yeah, it's magic. We haven't figured it out yet either, Edison said, leaning over the back of his seat. One of them cast a big spell that let us understand them, and them understand us, but only if you were in range. He said, your world is amazing. That's, uh, she shook her head. You know what? I'm just going to focus on taking orders. Would you guys like anything to drink? Tequila, Kowalski said without hesitation. They had a brief discussion of what kind of tequila he wanted, which Rin couldn't follow, though he was fairly certain that Kowalski was flirting with the waitress. He was less certain about whether his efforts were successful. I'll just have a Coke, Kimber said. I am the Dee Dee. He held out a hand in front of Kowalski as the waitress moved around the table. The other marines fished out a key and attached a pouch to the pocket and handed it over without comment. Further discussions was had about what Rin wanted to drink. The marines were delighted to learn that the Kishman also drank alcohol, and it also decided that he should start with something called a Dos Equis to stick it with the Mexican theme. He was a little uncertain about the imbibing on this adventure, but uh, I'm an infantry veteran of His Majesty's Royal Host. I'm hardly a stranger to alcohol. Any appetizers? Esso fendido, Miller said. For one or for the table? For the table. Excellent. Oh, and how are we splitting the bull? Individually, but I've got his, Bradford said, pointing his thumb at Rin. He opened his mouth to object, but then closed it, his ears drooping, as he remembered he had nothing to pay with. This... Is embarrassing. I need to fix this. Anything else? No, that's about it. Oh, Radford interrupted herself, snapping her fingers and pointing at the waitress. Can we get a selection of hot sauces? We're not sure what he can stand. 
She pointed at the back of Rin. Of course, I'll be right back. He walked away, Rin was handed a card. He stared down at the alien text, his ears twisting in consternation. Um, here, I'll read it for you, Bradford said, tilting her own card so that he could see and read off of hers. Another discussion began on what everyone wanted to eat. The waitress seemed to know her job well because she returned at exactly the time that everyone had decided. She passed out the drinks and set the wooden bowls of baked chips alongside the plate of what smelled like some kind of melted cheese, followed by several bottles of some kind of sauce, then began taking orders. Rin stared at the chips and cheese as she departed again. Pass me one of the mild ones, Bradford said, picking up a chip on the bowl and Kimber picked up a bottle out, opened it and passed it to her. All right, Rin, she said, dabbing some brownish liquid on the chip. We're going to do some science here, she passed him the chip. Try that. He took the chip and gave it a sniff. Definitely some kind of spice here. He gave Bradford a glance and popped the chip into his mouth. He nodded slowly while he chewed. The chip was some kind of hard flat bread, with a little salty, but not much different than a similar food to Gangala. The sauce is kind of sweet and... He opened and shut his mouth, running his tongue across his upper teeth a few times before swallowing. I had a weird bite at the end. Yeah. Try this one, Bradford said, handing him another chip with another sauce on it. He could smell the bite in this one. He eyed her again and popped the next chip in his mouth. Instantly, he felt his mouth burn. His eyes went wide and his ears stood straight up. But with ten marines and navy corsemen all staring at him, he didn't dare spit it back out. His eyes watering, he continued chewing and just barely managed to swallow before the fumes triggered his sinuses and sneezed. The humans laughed. Okay, so that was a couple steps up from mild, Bradford admitted. Only a couple, Rin coughed. He could feel the heat of the sauce all the way down to his stomach. Well, it wasn't the hottest they have. Want to try another one? Mills asked, holding up a chip with a subtle smile. Rin could smell the fumes from the other side of the table. No, you try it, Rin said before sneezing again. Miller shrugged and popped it into his mouth with a mild smirk. He chewed and swallowed it as if it was nothing. Dude, Gomez said, picking up a bottle. That's holy Jolokai. It's like a million scoville. That's getting into weapons great range. He set the bottle back down, shaking his head in awe. How is your face not melting off? Miller shrugged, snagging another chip and dipping it into cheese. He stuffed it into his mouth and nonchalantly chewed away. Try the quasso, Bradford said, elbowing Run. It helps neutralize the heat. He immediately grabbed the chip and dipped it into the cheese and popped it into his mouth and closed his eyes, savoring the flavor. It wasn't like any cheese made of muller milk that he'd ever tasted, but it was definitely cheese, and it helped ease the burning in his mouth. Try this stuff. It's barely medium, Bradford said, hanging him another open bottle. He took a curious sniff and nodded. Try putting it on top of the cheese. Rin nodded again, scooping another chip full of cheese off the plate and cautiously poured a few drops of sauce onto it. He took a careful bite, strings of cheese trading from his mouth to the other half of the chip. The spice is still hot, but much more manageable. Even good. He dabbed some more sauce onto the rest of the chip and popped it in his mouth. Swallowing, he picked up a glass of beer. He took a moment to marvel at the glass itself and how pristinely clear it was, and the fact that it was cold. They drink the beer cold. The cost in manner to keep things chilled like this. He shook his head and took a sip. It is, um, interesting, he decided, different and cold, but definitely still beer. He took another step, and definitely stronger than table beer. 
After a short discussion of hot sauce, the history of capsaicin and alarmingly its weaponization, the waitress returned to the plateau stacked with food. Rin's ears perked up as his stomach rumbled as the scents wafted across the table. Plates were passed around the table and Rin's gaze locked onto a plate containing a mix and match. I order a steak, pork and chicken tacos. He had to swallow to keep himself from drooling. He vaguely heard Kowalski make a joke about the waitress being his new hero, but all his attention was fixated on his food. He spared a glance at the others for some cue as to when it would be appropriate to start eating. Seeing them all immediately tuck into their food, he carefully picked up one of the tacos. He tilted his head one way and then the other way trying to figure out how best to eat it. He decided to head tilted was the best option. He took a bite, doing his best to keep the contents from spilling everywhere, then sat back, chewing, savoring. Silence reigned over the table for a time as everyone tucked into their food, but eventually the conversation returned. The topic shifted wildly depending on who was talking and who was stuffing their face, and ranged from plans of the evening to past exploits, prospects of war, and their own recent adventures. We had a layover in Memphis, but we got stuck there because of the hurricane going through at the time, Gomez said. It was like a day and a half delay before they would let us flight through Savannah. Normally, they wouldn't have let us leave the security area, but because we have a day and a half delay, they let us leave the airport. He took a drink of his soda. Apparently, humans had an age requirement before they were allowed to drink alcohol. So me and my buddy were like, we were just being gifted one last night of freedom before we spent the next three months in boot camp. Let's go to a titty bar. Of course you did. Bradford rolled her eyes. Hey, you can't tell me that you wouldn't go to a strip club if you had the chance right before three months of guaranteed no sex. Continue your goddamn story, Private. Right, Gomez said around a bite of food. So anyway, we get to the titty bar and went about as you expect. We even got a special dancers in the back room for a uh, discount, he said, scrunching up a few fingers in his hand in the air, when we told them that we were on our way to boot camp. Everyone at the table, even Rin, shared a knowing roll of the eyes. So, we were in the back room, right? He washed the bite food down with another gulp of soda. I don't know what the freck Frankie was doing. I wasn't paying attention to him, because I had a smoking hot stripper dancing on my lap, and she was fine... Just enough chunk to have some junk in the trunk that you could hold on to, but a waist that thin enough that you could almost wrap your hands around, and big old melons that felt like... He was interrupted by Kowalski reaching over Rin and Bradford to smack him on the back of the head. Goma, we're in public. Keep it PG-13. All right, he sheepishly rubbed the back of his head. Sorry. Continue, Kowalski said, sitting back down. So, uh, right, he took another bite. She was dancing on my lap, top came off, and then the bottom came off. He took another drink, shaking her ass in my face. I'm thinking about I'm going to be one of the luckiest bastards heading to boot camp. Then she busts ass, rips a massive fart right in my face. Kimber snorted into his drink, starting a coughing foot, and Bradford lowered her face into a free hand, hiding a smirk. Rin's ears shot up and swept back in empathic discomfort. Now, I grew up on a pig farm in Indiana. Didn't bother me none. I thought it was f f f flipping hilarious, and she sat there laughing, my rear off. But her instantly killed the mood. She was so embarrassed she disappeared, and I never saw her again for the rest of the night. He shook his head, taking another bite. Spoiled my hopes of getting laid that night, but otherwise we had a great time, and made it back to the airport just in time to catch our flight, which got bumped up because the hurricane wasn't as bad as they thought.
He sent the glass down after another drink. So after that, we got to Paris Island, go through the whole processing in BES, and of course, they keep you up a whole time. Don't let you sleep the first night. He got several nods from around the table. My buddy and I were dying because we spent the night before getting wasted in the strip club and got maybe 20 minutes out on the flight in Savannah. They finally got us to the new barracks and then it slides out. I dropped straight into my rack. No blankets or nothing, just died. He took another drink. So I wake up the next morning, right? Both eyes glued shut. I thought I was freaking blind. He shook his head. Turns out the stripper's fart had been festering on my face the entire time, and when I woke up, I had the worst case of pink eye anyone in Paris Island had ever seen in 30 years. Both eyes were welded shut, and I had been guided to medical and get them uncrusted enough to open back up. It was SAQ for two days because of it. Jesus Christ, Goma. Kowalski shook his head. I bet the DAs loved you, Bradford said. Oh, hell yeah. Once I'd been cleared by medical and finished processing in, they beat my rear harder than I'd ever worked before. The first day, they had me PTing in a lake of my own sweat. He picked up a bottle of Holy Jolokia and was casually tipped it back like it was his drink. The bottle glugged once and Gomez's expression instantly changed to that of a man who knew he'd screwed up and regretted being alive. It gulped a second time before he could react. The hot sauce drizzled across his face and the table in a rush to set the bottle down. Gomez twisted away from the table and slid off the bench, falling to his knees, coughing, gagging fit. His face was crimson and covered in sweat. Rin stared in horror as Bradford quietly put the cap back on the bottle. I think we're done with this one. I don't understand what your problem is, Miller said, scooping up some of the tibbles of the hot sauce with the chip and popping it in his mouth. This stuff is good, monster! Gomez managed to cough out. Is everything all right? The waitress asked, walking over. He grabbed a bottle of hot sauce instead of his cup. Wolski said, the super hot stuff. Oh no. Ah, can we get a glass of milk for him? Bradford asked. Absolutely. She disappeared behind the bar and returned a moment later with a glass of milk. Gomez took it from her and gulped it down like a downing man grasping for air. The glass drained, he handed it back. Thank you, he croaked, getting back to sitting back down. He immediately started shoveling chips and cheese into his mouth. A few mouthfuls and carefully identified gulps of refilled soda later, he seemed to be mostly recovered. Well, I'm not going to be looking forward to that when it comes back out the other end. I was unpleasant enough going in. Goma, you're a big dumb bastard. You know that, Kowalski laughed. Yep, he said, shoveling another bite of food into his mouth. Twenty minutes later, Rin was wobbling back in the van, stuffed with more food than he'd eaten in a very long time. Foot traffic had increased, but they were still given a decent berth by anyone they passed. As they piloted back into the van, Kimber took the driver's seat and Kowalski called shotgun. Rin and Bradford climbed him back into what had become the designated seats, while the rest of the squad piled into the back. Kowalski gave Kimber directions as they pulled out of the parking lot, and Rin went back to staring out of his window. The van worked its way through the city, and he gazed in fascination at all the different types of people and things that he saw. Sometimes he got some commentary from the marines, but they mostly seemed to have fallen into a food coma. To be honest, it wasn't so sparked up I'd probably be passed out too. Is that a carriage? What creature is putting it? This looks like it's as large as a cushy. After navigating through the city, Gimba turned the van back onto the main highway, but he had barely finished accelerating to speed before he turned off again. 
For a moment, Rin thought that they were turning back to the city again. By looking forward, he saw the ocean. Kimber kept driving towards it until he reached the road that ran right along the edge of the harbor, out onto the water, and he could see the masts of countless stoops and small ships. They made a left turn, and he had struggled to keep himself from crawling over Bradford to cape at the window. Never seen the ocean before, Bradford said. No, not until today. He rolled his ears. I've seen the royal fleet sheltered in Lake Kayagiap when we were in Yetchiyashi for a while, but never the ocean. He flicked his ears back. Never have most of the sailors in the royal fleet. I think they'd be the ones to see it for sure. He shook his head. The elves have kept our fleets bottled up in port for years. Lake Kayagiap is a brackish lake with a couple miles above the mouth of the Yishi River. It's too narrow for the owls to get their fleet up the river, not without being obliterated by our shore batteries, but it's also too narrow for our fleet to study out in force. Why'd your fleet bottle up in there in the first place? Edison asked. It was where our main shipyards are, and the choice to shelter the fleet there or lose it, he growled. Ship to ship, in a conventional fight, owls, the ships are superior. They're better built, better designed, but... Uh, he nodded at the gallon of proper three-masted frigates and the approaching. Like your ships, ours depends on the wind for power. We don't have the manner to be able to move the ships and still fight and shield it. The owls, though, they can draw more ambient manner and stock more of it, and they can move independent of the wind. When we can catch them with their reserves alow, or their motive artifices dis dispelled to conserve manner, our ships have rarely lost the fight, even when outnumbered. He shook his head, but they rarely so caught, and no matter how many we've destroyed, the ships just keep coming. Well, good news is, that's not our navy, Bradford said, putting him on his shoulder. Yeah, those are museum ships, centuries old, Edison added. If you look ahead, on the right, Kowalski said, you'll see something a bit more modern. The USS Midway, Bradford said, with an immense, towering ship of metal came into view. What is that? That is the USS Midway, a Midway-class steam-powered aircraft carrier, Kowalski said, taking on his tour guide tone once more, commissioned in 75 years ago and decommissioned at the and turned into a museum ship nearly 30 years ago. When did you become so educated, Kowalski? Bradford asked, when I looked it up on Wikipedia this morning while planning the trip. You think they just actually knew things, Kimber snorted. The van turned right into what was obviously a parking area for the ship. Kimber slowed the van into a crawl and Bradford shifted, allowing Rin to crawl past her to get a better look at the window. We haven't been limited to sail power for almost 200 years. The Roosevelt's in port across the way, Kowalski said. He tapped Kimber's arm. Pull around there, we should be able to get a better look at it. Kimber nodded and followed a lot around the, toward the piers. As the van cleared the building as stropping the view, Rin saw the unmistakable silhouette of another aircraft carrier. I wanted to get aboard and even just next to her to show him, but there's no way the squids would let him anywhere near her. No, I don't have any friends over there that can maybe sneak us in. You could carry an army on that thing. Or an air force, Bradford smiled. One of our supercarriers like the Roosevelt carries more air power than many of the nations on Earth. If you're beating them with wooden sailing ships, one of our destroyers could probably take the whole fleet of them by themselves. A single carrier strike group would probably rule the seas, she snorted. Hey, they rule seas over here. But they're over here, he frowned. Yeah, there's only one portal and it's a bit of a hop from the water. She tilted her head in consideration as Kimber turned the van around. Though we could probably dig a canal through the portal if we really wanted to. 
It'd hardly be the biggest project we've ever undertaken. Or we could just use another portal, Edison suggested. With ocean access, if you guys make one, you can always make another. Eh, I'm not sure how eager anyone would be to have another portal pop up, Samson said. And it would probably be the second point we'd have to defend, Miller added. Just put it far enough out to sea that the elves can't touch it without ships, and sink anything that comes close, Edison shrugged. We'd probably be able to sink anything that they've got before it was anywhere near us. Maybe, Bradford shrugged. Either way, it's a decision that's way above our pay grade. She tapped the back of Kowalski's chair. Where to next, oh great tour guide? Granada, he said, and step on it, driver. He backhanded Kimber's shoulder. There's a beach waiting for us. Okay, here's the bridge right now, Bradford said, pointing to the rising road ahead of them. Ladies and gentlemen, if you look to the right and left, you cross the bridge, you'll see the naval base in San Diego and the mighty warships of the United States Navy, the most expensive and heavily armed chauffeur service on the planet. The first, Rin thought that they were putting up a hill, but as they went over the roads and even buildings that passed beneath them, he realized that they were a long, enormous, and incredibly tall bridge. It was taller than even the Kayadai drawbridge of a Yishi, and we're still going up. Looking out of his window as they approached the water, he saw a great crane standing next to mighty ships of steel, larger than any warship ever built by the Kishman hands. Dozens of them moored at piers that stretched out for miles around the shore. As they reached the peak of the bridge, his ears shut up as one of those towering warships came into view and shaped stone walls. That thing just sailed beneath us! He glanced ahead as they travelled down the opposite slope. The bridge curved, curved by design, and he could see the spindly legs that held up the great span and shaped stone. There is no way that magic was not used to create this... I'm no mason, but uh, how could they even shape the stone? Or is it all this plastered of mortar? The road descended to the far shore, past lush and exotic trees, and into a grid-like streets, surrounded by more reasonably-sized houses, though he would normally have considered all of them to be wealthy manners in gala. A left turn put them on a long, bustling street, split by stretches of grass and trees in the middle. Rin clunked his horns against the window again, trying to take it all in as the van crawled down the street. Another left turn, followed by an immediate right, put them into another parking lot. All right, brief stop for essentials, Kimber called out, shoving up the operating lever before his wheel. And a swimsuit for jams, Kowalski said as the door opened. Yeah, we didn't know your size and weren't about to guess it, Edison said. That's probably wise, Rin said, earning him a glare from Bradford. He waggled his ears at her, so he got a subtle smile and a twitch from her eyebrows that seemed to promise retribution. Ha! I'm starting to figure out the human expressions, but I'm probably going to pay for that later. Once out of the van, the group headed into the neighboring building. Rin glanced up at the looping, swirling red script that hung above the door, wondering what it said as they stepped inside. Immediately, he was struck by a wall of cool air, and he had noticed a temperature difference when walking from the hospital to the van, and he had felt some cooling enchantments in the van, though Kimber had noted something was wrong with it, but he had honestly been too overwhelmed by everything else given it much notice. This, though, was like the stab in the face with a cool autumn breeze in the middle of summer. The air of the entire building was almost cold. Come on, said Kowalski, bumping his shoulder. Let's go get party supplies while Jabs gets his stuff. Can't? Edison asked. Can't. 
Komalski said with a nod. Edison stepped over to the row of cleverly nestled carts, putting one free and spinning it around as the rest of the men fell in beside him. Bradford flicked a hand at them as she walked off on her own. So, what do we all need yet? Dubois asked. Cooler, ice, beer, snacks, probably some extra beach towels. Kowalski ticked the items off on his fingers as they continued into the store. It's like a smaller version of the MCX, Rin thought, but with the different things and different versions of the same things. He swiveled his head around, looking for different products that he could recognize. The variety and standardization. Why didn't we get the cooler at the exchange? Because you're all the dumbasses, that's why, Kowalski rolled his eyes. Too busy stocking up on things that we're going to sell to the rest of the battalion, Miller said. That too, Kowalski laughed. Nothing like blatant price gouging to distract you, huh? Samson laughed. Hey, it's called supply and demand. Kowalski pulled his bottle out of his pocket and spit into it. Ain't nothing more American than capitalism. He pointed at a wall painfully blue boxes on a shelf. That'll do. Stevens grabbed a box and a shelf and dropped it into the cart. Ice snacks? Nah, that's up front. Snacks are right here. Then we'll get the beer. I'll go grab some towels, Edison said. Cool, meet you at the registers. Don't forget the sunscreen, Aaron Waiju called out. Your white rears are gonna burn. Rin flicked an ear up at the comment, tilting his head slightly, but decided it best not to comment as they rounded the corner into a section that was walled off by humming closets. For lack of a better word, inside were rows and bottles and jugs, all stacked boxes of bottles. What kind are we getting? Samson asked, opening up the glass door and freeing a wash of frigid air. Corona, of course, Kowalski said. We're going to the beach. Ah, he said, picking out a box and putting it out. Your tasting beer is so, uh, basic. Hey, Gomez said, puffing his chest out. I don't care who you are, your favorite kind of beer is free. Your second favorite kind of beer is cold, and anyone who disagrees with that ain't a freaking man. Damn it, Gomez, Kowalski said, smacking him on the back of the head. We're in public. There might be kids around. Oh, fr- I mean, cr- I mean- Ugh, he sighed, sagging like a deflated child. Sorry, just watch it, okay? Hi, Corporal. Hey, don't you get using my slave name when we're in Liberty. He shook his head, just toss another case of beer into the cart. How much beer are we getting? Dubois asked, casting a dubious eyebrow at the cart. Well, I figure there is an, what, eleven of us? He gestured to the second box Gomez was stacking into the cart, with twenty-one four-pack and two beers apiece. With a couple left over. Six left over, Kimber corrected. Eh, whatever. Kowalski waved at him. Close enough. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I ain't no lightweight. A couple beers won't even get me buzzed. But we don't want to get all plastered. We should squeal with a chance to get us all NJP'd, and four or five will be fine. Four or five? That sounds excessive, but fine. Leave it to you to figure out exactly how much you can drink without getting in trouble, Samson said. Hey, I'm not the one who sucked down a fishbowl martini while during a handstand in a pair of barstools. How many bottles of tequila were in that thing? Rin eyed the boxes of beer, trying to gauge their size. On second hot, these bottles were bigger than I would have expected. Only one and a half, Dubois said, and you puked it all up about five minutes later. I remember that. Crap, Kimba said, swinging the cart around and heading back to where they came. You rallied for a two more jello shots and then passed out in the corner with a lampshade on your head. Wait, the beer isn't regular house beer, and they're not talking about beer. I still have the lampshade. 
What is taquila? Mexican hard liquor, Kimber said, made from the plants that only grow in Mexico. Fun fact, Edison said, walking up a load of towels and dropping them in the cart. According to U.S. law, tequila must be at least 80 proof to be sold in the U.S. Rin cooked in here. 80 proof? 40% alcohol. 40%? And he drank a whole bottle and more. He raised his ears in alarm. How much alcohol do you people drink? All of it, man. Kowalski threw a heavy arm over his shoulder. All of it. His ears drooped down as they made their way back to the front of the store. I might not have the livers for this. Bradford had met them at the registers, and Rin had to take a few moments to inspect the inside of the icebox, marveling at the bags and bags of neatly cubed ice stacked inside of it. He had a decent understanding of the work required to keep things cool, having worked cooling spells to provide some comfort to his unit during the short-lived campaign in the tropics, before the owls had pushed them to the coast of the Brankia Peninsula. Cutting off the land connections to the Dolgra, the amounts of energy they have to casually throw around, if we could harness it into our mana production. Before loading the back into the van, they spent a few moments to smash the bags of ice onto the pavement, breaking the cubes loose, before pouring it into the cooler. They packed the bottles and the beer with more ice on top of it, plus some cokes for Kimber and Gomez, and loaded the box into the back of the van, shifting the bags of supplies that they had stocked up and make room. He settled into the van, expecting another long drive, but barely minutes after putting onto the road again, they were at the ocean. Kimber found an open parking spot along the beach, and everyone piled back out. Giant, colorful towels were broken out, and the cooler was unloaded. Bathrooms are over there, we can change inside, Kowalski said, tossing a towel and a pair of shorts into Rin's face, nearly knocking him over. Really? He pulled them off of his head and gave Kowalski a glare before following the lanky marine. The squad took the turns changing and watching the beer. Rin took the longest, partly because the human clothes were not optimized for his tail, and partly because he took him moments to realize that the netting inside was a special shorts was for, and that he was to replace all of his clothes with them. He stepped back out with his clothes neatly folded and didn't even have to give the humans a questioning quirk of his ears before Samson collected them and returned them to the van. Took you long enough, Shields, Bradford said. He turned around and his ears immediately shot straight up before he managed to control them and sweep them back down to his head. Is that what she's wearing? Is that bright orange two-piece garment with a band of fabric that ran from the base of her neck down to above her bottom quarter of her ribcage, then the second narrow band of fabric that started around her below her hip bones and left almost the entirety of her thighs exposed? It would be a struggle to call those undergarments. Of course, that's what she's wearing. He glanced at the other marines and their completely exposed torsos, and the humans' shorts were all the wearing. Even the other humans on the beach were showing an incredible amount of skin. He spotted several women who were wearing even less than Bradford. Is modesty a concept for these people? He sighed. An ingatikia. So, what now? We hit the beach, Stephen said, grabbing two bags full of sealed bags. Go swimming, crack a few cold ones, and hang out and chill, brah. There's a clear spot over there. We can all sit up everything there. Kimba pointed out, grabbing one of the coolers. Alan Rawaju grabbed the other handle and the gang stepped onto the beach. Rin glanced down at the sand, smiling as he felt the grains between his toes. He looked up and stopped. Before him lay a great body of water stretching to the horizon. He could see a couple islands poking out of the water in the hazy distance. 
and one of the great metal human ships, but nothing else until the water met the sky. The mighty ocean. The water should be nice, Bradford said. We haven't even noticed her approach. You want to go in? His ears rolled up the notion. Yeah, he said. She tapped him on his arm. Raisha, last one to the water is a rotten egg. She shouted, taking off. Hey, what? No, no fair, he shouted back, leaping into pursuit. Rotten egg. She sprinted after her. He almost overtook her, but realized that she had been letting him catch up when she put on an effortless burst of speed with a laugh and dove into the water. He jumped in behind her and immediately came up splattering at the taste of the water. Oh, they are salty, he thought, standing high up high in the lazily sloshing water. Bradford popped out of the water beside him and shoved a wave of water at him, sending him splattering again. He growled and jumped towards her, and she twisted away with a laugh and casually slipped beneath the water. She moves like a lana eel. What's the matter, fox boy? She called, popping up again several yards away. Having trouble in the water? With another growl, he took a breath and dove underneath the waves. The salt tingles my nostrils, and I feel like a float too much, but it's no different than the river back home, and I know a few tricks I can pick up from the university artificers trying to reverse engineer Alvin ship propulsion. Coating his legs, he gathered some of his reserves and, with a burst of mana, formed a small shield wall directly beneath his feet to kick off from. He launched out of the water, catching Bradford by surprise, and tackled them both beneath the waves. There was a brief struggle when Rin found himself physically thrown out of the water. He landed with a splash and popped back up, yipping in laughter. Cheater, Bradford laughed, floating a short distance away. It's not cheating if the level's the playing field. The dispute was interrupted by the rest of the squad storming into the water to join them. You guys forgot the important stuff, Kowalski said, splashing over them with holding four open bottles in his hands. Careful not to spill any of the splash water into them. Because once a beach party with our coronas? Why do you have four? Ren asked, taking one of the bottles and giving a sniff. One for each of you, he said, handing a bottle to Bradford, and two for me. He grinned before putting one of the bottles to his lips and tilting his head back and draining it down his throat. Finishing it off, he threw his arms wide. <sighs> Kawabunga! Gomez shouted, splashing into a tackle Kowalski. Crap! He cursed as he went under with almost 300 pounds of puppy dog marine on top of him. A short tussle later, and he popped back up, his thumb firmly clamped over the mouth of his unfinished bottle. Saved it! The Rin laughed and sampled his own beer. It was definitely different, but there was a faint underlying bitter taste that was shared with the beer that he had at dinner. It was also just as strong, or maybe it was just swimming in the ocean on another world that wasn't known to war. That's got me so giddy. He shrugged and took another sip. Hey, no littering. Yeet that back up and shore. We'll trash it later. Aye, aye, sergeant. Rag out. The bottle, half full of seawater, went flying through the air to land impressively close to the array of towels that had been set up around the cooler. Watching the bottle land, Rin noticed a few other beachgoers pointing their phones at him, but thought nothing of it. They splashed and swam around with several more dunking and tackling antics, though always with a care to keep the beer safe. You'd think it was a basis of their entire civilization, Mirren mused as the effort that they all went through to keep from being spilled or contaminated. Rin had finished his first beer, his second for the evening, and was starting to feel quite a pleasant buzz when the group tired of playing in the water and headed back to the snacks and beer cooler. I feel like I've had four or five, 
Not two, he thought, as he climbed out of the water, the water dripping down the back and triggering a natural, I'm wet reaction, and he braced his legs and shook out his fur. Oh, God damn it! I walked right into that, Gobez said, spluttering and spitting. I think you got fur in my mouth. Ha ha ha! You shake like a dog, Alan Rawaji said, clapping him on the back. Go shake on the miller, he pointed at his beer bottle. He's been spending the whole time sitting there on his phone, rather than enjoying the beach. Get stuffed, Doc, Miller said, not taking his attention off his phone. It dinged and Rin saw the rare hint of an actual smile twitch on the corner of the man's lips. What's got you so fixated you can't come and join the party, Miller? Ellison said, flopping down next on his towel, snagging one of the bags of snacks and putting it open. He's texting his wife, Bradford said, putting a pair of beers out of the cooler and offering Rin one. He took it. Katie's learning how to put her own clothes on, Miller said, as his face lit up in an honest grin as he turned his phone around for the others to see. Here's a picture of her after she insisted on getting dressed by herself. Oh, she's adorable. <laughs> Is that underwear on her head? I think her shirt's on backwards. I like that her socks are on her hands. Brilliant innovation there. The phone was passed to Rin and he saw a picture of a red-haired woman with a tiny, golden-haired human child. Her expression was unmistakably one of, you see what I have to deal with. The child was unmistakably proud of herself. How old is she? Ren asked, handing the phone back. Two and a half, Miller said, taking the phone back. She's part of the reason I enlisted. Couldn't afford to pay for school and family, so... He shrugged. Here I am. Look at you, Mr. Family Man, Samson said. Most of us all have home wreckers, and here you are, a home builder. Hmm... Miller grunted as he got back to his phone and it dinged again. That's the Miller I know, Kowalski said, grabbing another beer and a bag of some kind of brown sticks. Thought you'd been a body snatched there for a second. Nah. Kowalski stuck one of the sticks in the corner of his mouth and extended the bag to Rin. Pretzel stick? He took one and gave it a sniff and then took a bite. It was hard and crunchy and sprinkled with salt, but also had a faintly sweet, doughy taste to it. Oh man, I haven't had pretzel sticks forever, Kimber said, as he snagged a bag as Kowalski passed it around. He pulled one out of the stuck in his mouth. I love pretending that they were cigars when I was a kid. Everyone did, man, Stephen said. Yeah, if you didn't do that, you didn't have a childhood. Gomez pulled two sticks out and the bag was passed to him. What's a cigar? Ha! We'll have to teach you what the ways of tobacco at some point, Kowalski said. Once medical types clear it, Bradford said. Yes, mother. Frick off. Frick you. You're not my type. Thank freaking God. Do you two want a room? Shut the frick up, Goma. <laughs> Man. Kimber sighed. We used to hang out like this all the time. It was in the barracks, but everyone used to just leave the doors open and anyone would just walk by and hang out. What happened? Everyone keeps the door shut now playing video games, Samson said, rolling his eyes. I don't know, man. I started keeping my door shut after the Grey Taser party, Kowalski said, swinging another beer. Oh, man, I remember that one, Kimber said. Dude, what the frick, Samson laughed. The Grey Taser party, when Kimber and Colson and that craphead Iggy from the second platoon all decided to wrestle me awake. But while they were stripped in their skivvies, and it took a freaking taser to keep them back. Wait, you have a taser in the barracks, Bradford asked. No, Kowalski said instantly. Bradford gave him a sidelong glance, but decided to drop the matter in favor of swigging her beer. Run quirked an ear, opened up the mouth and asked a question, then shuddered again. I'm always asking questions. A taser is a non-lethal weapon, Edison said, giving him a knowing smile. 
It zapped someone with electricity to stun them. Some were more powerful than others. Electricity. Rin sounded out the word. It's what almost everything we have runs on, Bradford said. Basically, it's harnessed lightning. Rin's ears shut up. You captured lightning to power your artifices. She laughed. Yeah, in a way, but not directly. We make our own lightning to power our stuff, Edison grinned. You make lightning? Rin sighed, then glanced at the beer and took another swig. Kemba shook his head. Man, Higgy and Colson were always stirring up some crap. Whatever happened to Higgy? Haven't seen him in a minute. He died, bruh. What? The Kibler's got him too, Kowalski set up. No, it was like a week before the portal opened up, Edison said. His platoon sergeant had him packing sandbags for some dumb frick reason, and he just killed over dead. What? No way. Yeah, it was a brain bleed, apparently. He had a family history of it or something. Damn, ain't that the crap? Gimba sighed as he took another swig of his beer. You know what is this crap? Stevens asked, holding up a twisted up towel. Check this crap out, brah. He flicked his hand out, whipping a towel with the sharp crack as it snapped against Kowalski's back. Kowalski immediately arched his back. Ah, frick, he grimaced, and then set his beard down. All right, you craphead. You're dead. Come here. Stevens danced away from him, using the towel whip to ward off the bigger marine. Moments later, the rest of the squad was up and spent the next 15 minutes chasing each other around the beach with raging snapping towel battle. Ritten stayed put, watching them as he munched on a bag of thin, greasy, salty chip things Edison had handed him for safekeeping. Miller glanced at them over his phone and went back to texting his wife and daughter. Eventually, the energy spent and covered the fresh welts and bruises. The marines trickled back in, laughing at each other, and how Gomez had squealed like a girl when Alan Waju had nailed him in a particularly good one. Rin offered Bradford his bag of crispy things, and she took it with a grin. She shook his head. They're all crazy. What about you, Shields? Kowalski asked, settling back into the spot and cracked open another beer. We've been telling you all our crazy antique stories. You've been in longer than I have. You've got to have some crazy stories of your own. Rin shrugged as someone passed him a bag of spoofy-looking orange curls. He sniffed one, tried it, and decided there was keeping the bag. I don't know where to even begin. His ears sagged and frown. We haven't had a whole lot of time for crazy antics. He popped a few more poofy curls into his mouth, considering he's chewing and swallowing. Keck was always up to something, though. He snorted. There was this time he stole the Lion Commander's gambesome and died at purple, he chuckled. Commander Shinyu was furious. It was a very unflattering shade of purple. He had the whole line marching in circles of full armor and parade pikes for a week afterwards. He cocked his head. I still don't know where he got to die, but of course he roped me into it and I had to spend three hours soaking the gambesome with him in the middle of the night. The damn near exhausted myself spinning the artifices to dry it out so that he could slip it back in the Lion Commander's tent before sunrise. Ha! Keck sounds like my sort of guy. Kowalski grinned, taking a swig of his beer. Bradford shared a distant smile at the rest of the squad voiced their agreement and set her beer down to pull another one out of the cooler. Yeah, he was a character. Rune swallowed the final mouthful from his bottle. His ears twitched and he smiled. You know, he managed to take a crap in the Lord General Youngry's personal latrine three times, and never got caught. <laughs> Sticking it to the sirs like a champ, gotta meet this guy. He's dead, Rin said, his ears sagging as he drooped his empty bottle into the sand next to the spent pile. He died finding the gem blades that was about to kill me when you all showed up. 
Bradford leaned over and handed him a new bottle. He took it without hesitation. Crap man, sorry, Kowalski said and instantly contrite. I don't mean to ya. Uh... He turned away, giving the ocean a long, haunted look and sighed. To Keck, Bradford said, raising her beer in salute. And Iggy and Colson and all the other crapheads who will never share a drink with again. To all the crapheads, Kowalski shouted and raised his own beer. Rin raised his own bottle and tipped it back and drained most of it in one go. He set the bottle down with a bouch and bumbled for the bag of orangey curl puffs. Finally, grabbing it, he took a moment of extra careful concentration to put a hand inside and pull out a handful of curdy poof oranges. He paused, looking up. I'm drunk, he said to no one in particular, before stuffing a handful of orange stuff into his mouth. Dude, you haven't even finished your fourth beer, Edison said. Somebody's a lightweight, Samson laughed. Hey man, stop regarding those cheese doodles. You're turning yourself orange. Kimber reached for the bag. Rin clutched the bag in his chest and growled at him. That's off if you think I'm touching my oranges. Get your own. And somebody's done drinking for the evening, Bradford said, gently picking up Rin's bottles and setting them well out of his reach. Rin was more concerned with sticking his snout into the bag of orange. Somebody's going to have to take another dunk before we go back into the van, Dubois said, shaking his head. And hit the showers hard, Samson said. He's got so much salt in his fur, he almost looks like a badger. Hey, we should get the group photo before he gets too dark, Kimber said, and before the bogata of cheese doodles over there gets himself cleaned up. Hiran stuck his head further into the bag, licking the inside to get every last bit of the deliciousness that was the cheese doodles. With the bag on his head or not? Bradford asked. What do you think? Kowalski said. Very well, she laughed. All right, everyone gather around. Samson shouted and waited for a moment for Rin could sense the rest of the squad clustering around him, but he was more concerned with finding the last traces of the doodly goodness. Excuse me, sir, do you mind taking a group picture for us? Yeah, sure, he is a... Uh, yep, long story, but we got the liberty break, and we're milking it for all it's worth. Cool, all right, so uh, how does the... Ah, there it is, you all ready? Hey, Shields, Rin turned his head towards the sound. Hmm, no, the other way. Rin turned his head the other way. There, hold it there. He cocked his head in confusion. Perfect, quick, take it now. Rin heard a couple snappy clicking sounds while everyone around him said cheese for some reason. All done? Yep, sweet, this are perfect. Thanks, man. No problem, thanks for your service, all of you. Thanks for your support, Bradford said. Rin turned his head back for forth between the sounds of conversation, still confused until Bradford pulled the back of his head. Yeah, four beers is definitely too much for you. Here, have some pretzels. Hopefully, food soaks up the alcohol for you like it does for us. Thanks, he said, giving her a smile and an uncoordinated waggle of his ears as he started happily munching away at the pretzel sticks he handed him. She's always so helpful. They sat and conversed for a while longer, careful to stick to happier subjects, and eventually Rin started to sober up a little. As the sun began to set, they stumbled into the water for one final dunk, and Kowalski and Kimber helped Rin stay upright in the beach shower while he rinsed off the salt and sand from his fur. The shower woke him up enough to dress himself, and as darkness fell, all headed back to the van. Driving in, Rin found his usual seat vacant, so he flopped himself into the corner. A few moments later, the rest of the marines piled into the back, with Kowalski calling shotgun, leaving Bradford to climb in next to him. Not that he minded sharing the bench seat with her at the least. 
Kimber was a much less aggressive driver than Kowalski, and the ride back to the portal was much smoother than the rest of the trip. Thoroughly exhausted and still quite tipsy, Rin leaned back in his seat with a sigh. That was fun, he thought as the streetlights around the van dimmed. He was out cold before they even reached the bridge. Rin was jostled awake by some time later by the van carefully bouncing over rough dirt road and a faint green light outlining the edge of the portal looming above them. A stirring on his shoulder drew his gaze to the right, and he woke up enough to realize that he and Bradford were leaning on each other and they had locked eyes with her. They shared a quiet look before reaching a silent agreement to awkwardly ease away from each other. That was terribly inappropriate, and I had way too much alcohol. He thunked his head against the window. Bad thoughts, not appropriate. He leaned his face against the glass, finding it pleasantly cool, and was just starting to drift off again when the van jerked to a halt. All right, ladies, we're home, everyone out, and don't forget any of your crap. There was much groaning and stretching as the marines roused themselves from their own naps and oozed their way out of the van. Rin joined in the unloading of supplies and was amazed at the quantity that they'd all purchased. This is all for you. Oh no, a lot of this we're going to sell to the rest of the company, Kimber said. Once we get properly deployed out in the field and they can't just hop back in a van and make quick trips to Walmart. Well, the exorbitant markup, of course, Kowalski grinned, giving him a wink. I've seen guys pay 20 bucks for a can of dip in the deployment. Rin nodded in understanding. There are times I would have paid a month's salary for some popular helia back at home. See, I told you he'd get it, Kowalski said as they carried over their haul into the tent. Kimber hopped back into the van and drove off. Returning to his bunk, Rin decided that he would probably stow his things in the morning and set them under his cot. He stripped himself down to his skivvies but retained enough sense of propriety to put on a uniform t-shirt back on. The rest of the squad started settling in around him. Hey, have you seen my, uh, oh, there it is, never mind. Did you actually remember to put your own crap away properly for a change, Goma? Apparently. Would you guys keep it down? I'm trying to sleep. Right, sorry, Davies, keep it down, you guys. Laughter filled their tent, followed by everyone shushing each other. Chuckling to himself, Rin flopped down back on his bunk, quite happy with the day. Today was a good day. He had barely finished settling into his pillow before he was asleep. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.